Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. I want to bring you into the world of the first century Jews, the mindset of the Jewish people. When Jesus came, they were living in very turbulent times. There was a lot of suffering. They were facing many trials, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of uncertainty. And many people wondering, where is God in the midst of all of this? When will God come and rescue us? When will the Messiah come? And I think the times of those first century Jews are similar to some of the things we're facing in our own crisis in the world today. And I want to bring a special guest to join us uh, today to, to walk us through the life of Jesus and how we can understand Jesus's words, his teachings, what he came to do, the hope he came to offer people in the midst of the crisis in the first century. And that special guest with me is Marcellino D'Ambrosio. He's a theologian, a best-selling author. He's a professor at Catholic Distance University. He leads numerous pilgrimage to many different parts of the world. But my favorite part is that he is Italian. In fact, they call him Dr. Italy. So I want to welcome my good friend and guest here, Marcellino. Thanks for being with us today. It is a pleasure to be with you, Ted. A pleasure indeed. Well, we are living in, in crazy times. I mean, it, 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 we've not seen the world be like this before. Uh, but I would bet that there's Jews in the first century that were also wondering many things, wondering where is God in the midst of this? So uh, you have this brand new book and video program that's out, and it's called Jesus, The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And so uh, I want to recommend this to all the listeners here. If you're looking for a book that really walks through the life of Jesus from A to Z, a book that takes the best of kind of modern biblical scholarship, theological insight, but does it in a very accessible way, a way that makes it really easy for us to understand who Jesus was, what he came to do, how his words and actions would have been understood in the first century Jewish world, how he fulfills all the prophecies. This is an outstanding work. So it's again, it's called Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll put that all in the show notes. But it also comes with uh, a video component where Marcelino and uh, Jeff Cavins were able to go to the Holy Land. And I also participated a little bit in this as well. It was a blessing. Thank you for having me uh, as a part of this wonderful program. But there's a video study program. So if you're also looking for a small group study to, to walk through the life of Jesus, you want to check this program out. But Tell me, how would you say what Jesus offered those Jews in the first century in their time of crisis might offer us some hope in our own world today? Yeah. Looking at that situation, it was really like the perfect storm. You had the Roman wind blowing in from the Mediterranean with its pretensions to grandeur and insistence on total obedience. And then you had the Jewish messianic aspirations, which a lot of times weren't quite completely what God had in mind. You know, uh, They weren't looking for a suffering servant. They were looking for uh, David, a new David, a new Judas, the Maccabee, the hammer who would drive out the pagans. So you had these two violent winds coming together. And then you have the wind of the Holy Spirit that's always unpredictable, that blows in through John the Baptist and then in Jesus' public ministry. He's anointed with the Spirit, a spirit of power. And when those things came together, it was really pretty wild times there. Um, and, and so we're in wild times right now, and I think that Jesus, in the midst of that, I think the image that is so poignant is the midst of the storm when Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat and the, the, the waves are raging and the wind is pounding and it looks really bad. And the disciples wake him up and 
he's unconcerned because he knows he's got this. And I think during these times, we need to look at incidences in the gospel like that that let us know and give us assurance that he's got this. In the midst of all this chaos, he's still with us, and he's going to bring us through. Um, so I think, honestly, uh, getting back to Jesus, Ted, right now as we're in the middle of crisis uh, is the most important thing. I, taking our eyes off the waves and the wind of coronavirus and putting them on the master is what we need to be doing right now. Yeah, and we, and we can do that, of course, through reading the scriptures and I think turning to the Word of God. I, that's what I've been advising the listeners and in other pieces I've been writing recently is when we have this, these anxieties, and they're understandable. I mean, we're human and we're wondering about our finances. We're wondering about our jobs. We're wondering about, might we get this thing? What if someone I love gets this thing? These, these are these are natural you know, concerns and fears. But when it becomes an, an anxiety where we're pressing the panic button, like maybe those apostles were, you know, or like Peter when he was walking on the water for a bit and he takes his eyes off of Christ and he's noticing the wind and the waves, you know, like when we do that, we sink in life. And so we need to turn to Jesus and to bring in the word of God. You know, whenever you start feeling that that stress, that anxiety, bring in God's word, some some truth of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Even just to say Jesus is Lord can help dispel those those fears, dispel those those winds and those waves. Uh, but let, let's turn more to, to this work. Uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, as we've been thinking a lot recently about the the passion, the death, all that Jesus came to do for us. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you, you have this section uh, in the video series called The New Passover and the New Exodus, and you write about that in the book as well. Uh, tell us about how the Passover background sheds light, so much light on the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. Yeah, well, Passover is really about liberation. We had the people of Israel in a situation where they were in bondage for hundreds of years, and the bondage gets more onerous, more difficult, more burdensome because of the hostility of Pharaoh and between Pharaoh and Moses, you know, and, and it kind of looks like God's intervention through Moses makes things worse because, you know, the Pharaoh is making things more miserable for them, not giving them straw. And God is going to show his glory through this trial. And I think that's a word for us for sure. He's going to show his glory in the midst of suffering. So what he does is he shows the the, the Egyptians, that he's in control, and this beautiful salvation through the blood of a lamb over a doorpost. It saves the people of Israel. Uh, judgment falls upon the, the people of Egypt, and um, God leads them out through the water of, of, of the Reed Sea or the Red Sea, and he leads them into freedom. Evil comes after them, but is destroyed in the waters. Okay, well, so basically we're seeing this Passover to a new kind of life happening. It's an exodus, a coming out of bondage. And when Jesus is in the transfiguration on Mount Tabor, and in the video series, we're on Mount Tabor, Jeff and I talking about this, Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses should give, be, be a sign that there's something Passover-y about this. <laughs> there's something having to do with what happened then. It's really interesting that it's only Luke who tells us what they're talking about. And Jesus says that they're, they're talking about his exodus, which is about to take place in Jerusalem. What's going to happen is a new exodus. It's going to be a liberation, a passing over. Jesus passing from 
historical human life in, in the kind of life that we know into a new glorious risen life, but he's going to pull us with him. He's going to share his risen spirit with us. He's going to share his risen life with us through the Eucharist. Um, this is a definitive liberation from evil that's going to happen. It's going to happen in the midst of suffering, just like it did in the first Exodus. Uh, and it's it's going to be suffering that he takes upon himself. And in that suffering, he, he encourages us to embrace. He calls us to follow him, pick up our cross and follow him. But because we're really on our way to glory, it's not a journey to death. It's a journey through death into glory. So that's kind of what we we talk about that because that's really the central meaning of what happened in that final week of Jesus' life. And how do we see the Gospels portraying the events in Jesus's passion in, in light of that Passover background, in light of that Exodus background? What what, what are some, some of the kind of typologies, prefigurings, prophecies do we see coming to fulfillment there? Well, you know, it's amazing. We, we see the meal, which the meal of the Last Supper certainly has Passover themes to it. And, and, and so we see that. Uh, but we also see the fact that in, in John's Gospel, which you bring out so beautifully in um, No Greater Love, that it's at the time the Passover lambs are, are slaughtered that Jesus lays his life down, the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh, Jews had been doing the daily temple sacrifices at three, and by this time in history, they're sacrificing the Passover lamb in the late in the afternoon. And so Jesus is dying. It's clear he is the new Passover lamb. And if there were any mistake about it, John wants to make real clear, particular detail only he mentions, and that is that no bones of Jesus were broken. Unlike the two thieves whose legs were broken to make sure they were dead, uh, he was thrust through and blood and water poured out. That leads to lots of other magnificent themes that we explore in the book of, of the, the new water, the living water, uh, the great fountain that comes forth from the temple, the new temple. But anyway, the, which was all are, prophesied, right? In, this in the is Old all Testament, prophecy, that, that the know? waters so, would come out of the temple and Jesus is being presented as like that the fulfillment of that, the new temple and the water coming out of his side. Yeah. yeah. The amazing thing is Passover and so many other themes all converge on what happens on Calvary. And then a few mornings later on the third day, the third morning on Easter Sunday morning, you know, that's, that's the center of all human history. I really love Paul Claudel is a French poet and he had a lot of impact on many of uh, the great Catholic theologians of the 20th century. But Paul Claudel says that the page that divides the new and old Testament is not the page between Malachi and Matthew. Um, It's not that golden page in many family Bibles. It's actually (laughs) the red page of the passion of of Good Friday and mm. uh, Easter Sunday that that's that that's what divides the old dispensation from the new. So the centrality of that, the central point in human history, Calvary and the, the tomb, which is right. Many people don't know this. We bring this out in the series, in the video series, but it's really 150 feet away from each other. You know, that it, it, now covered by the same church. That is ground zero in the history of salvation. That is the center of the universe right there in that locale. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and you've taken many pilgrims there, right? And and they're just always they always comment on that, right? How how surprising that is that right there that you go up these steps inside the the church of the Holy Sepulchre and you you go kiss the ground where Jesus died on Calvary and then you walk down the steps and just down a little way and in the same building there is there's the tomb of Jesus. They're they're, they're right there death and resurrection, Calvary and Easter right right there together. But that that I think symbolizes that point you were making earlier about this Jesus 
is showing us something. He's showing this is the mystery of life that was even prefigured in the Old Testament of the Exodus, right? That there was slavery, there was suffering, and then God brings this redemption and they're liberated. How are you, you mentioned about how Jesus invites us to share in that suffering. Why, what would you say to someone that says, well, why do we need to share in suffering? Doesn't Jesus come to free me from suffering? Doesn't he just come to, you know, it's like a, a, he's the best therapist. He just helps me with my problems. Like, why, why do I have to pick up a cross? Why do I have to share in his suffering? What does that do for me? What, what would you say to someone that had that question? Well, Jesus did come to free us from suffering that results from us being separated from God. That's the greatest suffering of all, being alienated from God and being without hope. And that he heals in, in, in us. You know, he gives us a, a vision for where we're going. He heals us from our separation from God. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. But as long as we're in this world, we're called to pick up our cross and follow him. So there's the suffering of rejection. There's the suffering of disappointment, the suffering of persecution that he experienced that we're invited to share in. And we join that suffering to his, and it becomes redemptive. It becomes meaningful. It becomes powerful. So I think part of the horror of suffering is when it's meaningless. That's That makes the suffering much darker and deeper. And um, I saw a, a meme today on Facebook that someone posted, and I, I'm going to repost it because it's so perfect. We have two choices in life, to suffer with Christ or to suffer without him. So until until the resurrection, until he comes back in glory, until each one of us is, is safe in the fullness of the kingdom in heaven, there's going to be suffering. We just have a choice of how to deal with it. And that has a lot to do with this crisis that we're in at the moment as we record this, the coronavirus crisis. I mean, we can either shine and be our very best. We can be beacons of hope and light during this crisis, or it can make us selfish. We can hoard. Um, we can run away from others in fear. Uh, and it's fascinating, fascinating point of history that in the second and third centuries, there are two great plagues in the Roman Empire. One of them, St. Cyprian talks about, it was during the era he was alive. And during those plagues, pagans panicked and left their own loved ones in the cities, and they fled out to the countryside. And they left their own relatives to die uh, who were afflicted because they didn't want to be infected. It was Christians who cared not only for their own families, but for others during that time. And that was one reason for massive numbers of conversions during the, the second and third century. I'm going to do, a, I think, a video on that because I think it's really important that there's a precedent for how Christians can be leaders in the midst of crisis like this. Yeah, those in the early church in the medieval period during the Great Plagues, Catherine of Siena didn't run away from the hotspots. You know, she ran into them and she was there praying with them, healing people and caring for them. And, you know, and so many other great saints witnessed to that. I think that's a really important point that we need to have solidarity with our brothers and sisters. Now, of course, we have to be prudent and careful. It's not like we want to go out of our way to try to catch this thing. But I think it's important that, yes, we're not just thinking of self. That's what anxiety does, right? It gets us to just focus on self instead of looking out toward others. But that's what Jesus came to do. You know, he wasn't afraid of us. He came down and entered into the plague of sin and our humanity and all of our suffering. Uh, and we need to follow him. Uh, you know, maybe just to linger on this point a little bit more, you you mentioned how we're, we're called to meet Jesus in the suffering. We're called to kind of unite ourselves Practically, what would you say to someone? How do I do that? Like, so I, I'm going through some suffering right now. Um, I'm afraid, or I just lost my job, or you know, whatever. Some some suffering comes up in life, whether it's right now during COVID nineteen crisis or the future crosses we're all going to face. What practically should one do in the midst of of that suffering? How do they How do they offer that up and unite themselves? I think it's a conscious 
act that we do every day. You know, our morning offering, I would just say it's been traditional from the time of of the of the very first Christians. Actually, Jews before Christianity, they, they, they sanctify the day by praying first thing in the morning. Jesus did this with Joseph. We talk a little bit about this in the video series and in the book. So the beginning of the day, you offer the day up to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise, but also you anticipate the challenges of the day and you offer them to the Lord. At the end of the day, disappointments is, are, are things that you need to offer to him, difficulties, challenges, trials, and make a conscious act of uniting them to Christ's suffering. In every Mass, when the offertory plate goes up, we ought to be sending up our sufferings, our work, our labor, and uniting that to the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And that ennobles our sacrifices. Our sacrifices are like a little drop of water that goes into the chalice of wine and becomes absorbed and united with that wine. Mm. That's part of the symbolism of that little water that goes in there. So um, we ought to make that more conscious in our daily life. I I would say the other thing is, this is hard for me. I'm going to be really honest, Ted. We need to thank God in all circumstances and thank him even for trials. James says, count it all Mm. joy when you meet trials. Eh, My first reaction usually isn't joy. I complain, and sometimes I even say some words I shouldn't say, and then I need to repent, (laughs) and I I thank the Lord for it, not because I see how it's going to be a blessing, but as an act of faith that it will be a blessing, and that faith and gratitude in the midst of trials unites the trials to Christ's cross, and it sanctifies and transforms them. So I want to encourage everybody to to do that as much as you can in the midst of this particular crisis, but just, it's part, you know, I just feel like during this time, Lent is supposed to be a time anyway where we start new habits. We don't just do temporary measures for this during Lent and then go right back in every way to the way life was before. We try to actually incorporate new habits that'll make us stronger spiritually for the rest of the year and for the rest of our lives. So during this crisis, we can learn some new habits that can actually serve us very well when the crisis is over. You know, when we had the chance to work on the video project together earlier this last this last year, uh, it was it was really. I mean, we've met bef- each other before at different conferences and things, but it was good to get to know you a little bit more. And, and I came away here's here's a man that you know has has many years of wisdom from life experience. And I'm going to just ask you a, a personal question here. You know, is, is there a time if you look back in your life where you you did face a certain suffering and you know it was really hard at the time and you did offer it up but then you you can look back and see i see how god used that i see i yeah. see how it's it's enriched me is there anything like that you'd be willing to share uh, absolutely um and i can share it because people involved in the drama don't mind me sharing it with you but i grew up in a wonderful home that had many wonderful things going on but we had a lot of addiction uh, alcohol addiction in widespread in our family. And um, it was really, really difficult as I grew up and realized our family is different from other families in this. Uh, it, it really was kind of painful. And I was watching, realized I was watching my mom dying before my eyes. And my brother mm-hmm. experienced this as well. And that was tough. And we began praying. The two of us had conversions in our teenage years to deeper life in Christ. And we began praying about it. Um and honestly, we saw no change. We began praying the rosary daily together, and um, things just got worse. They got worse progressively for two and a half years. And finally, there was a breakthrough. My mother decided, agreed to go into treatment, um, and she came out of treatment like a different woman. I had never known my mother except drunk or hungover my whole life. Mm. And it was like I was meeting my birth mom 
a sober woman who was loving the, I mean, she always loved God, even in the midst of her struggle with alcohol. She, she uh, taught me my prayers, but uh, now she's alive and free and she begins serving others. Um, but as that happened, my dad's drinking got worse and it took 18 years of prayer before my dad turned around. Um, and actually I went through a real profound crisis where I realized how much this impacted me. And like my whole foundation was shaken. Um, as, as we were struggling with my dad's drinking and my mom actually had a relapse for a while. Anyway, the bottom line is I learned things. Um, I learned things about people that I never would have known. And I've learned things about addiction and freedom. I never would have known and developed habits that I never would have had. And so I look back on this now and my mom's 30 years sober. My dad died after two years of sobriety, uh, but he died united with my mom. So like I, I I look back and see the blessing that came out of all this for our family. And part of the blessing is just the empathy that we are able to have and understanding we're able to have to people with mm-hmm. compulsive problems. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of us out there who've lived in alcoholic homes and have struggled with addiction ourselves or with family members. And I, you know, I just never would have a clue on how to understand them otherwise for, for this. Yeah, as I hear you say that, I'm pulling up my Bible here because I'm thinking of what St. Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter one, verse three and following, he talks about, you know, that the God is of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's a very awkward kind of sentence, but makes such that beautiful point that, you know, when we've gone through trials and sufferings, you know, God always, we, we know with faith, God always brings some good out of that uh, in his providence. We may not see it in many cases from your own story. You didn't see some things for over 18 years, but in the process you're learning and then you talked about that empathy. That's what made me think about God, you know, with his comfort and gentleness and care for you in those really, really challenging times yeah. uh, was able to be a blessing to others. Absolutely. You know, if I hadn't had to wait like that, how could I speak a word of hope and confidence mm-hmm. to people who've waited for years and years for a breakthrough? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I'm grateful that I can speak that word of, of hope to people and sharing that story with them. And that's and that's really the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the tomb being so close to where Calvary is, uh, and in, not just in time, but in space, as, as you mentioned earlier. Well, this, this has been such an encouraging conversation, and I, I'm... I, I want I want the listeners to know there's so much in this project where if you want to learn about uh, you know A to Z Jesus's public ministry you know from his his birth in Bethlehem all the way through his public ministry all the way up to Calvary and his death and resurrection uh, this is a great book to bring you into that story I always like to say many of us Catholics we know the different aspects of Jesus's life we know he gave the Sermon on the Mount he healed lepers he went into Jerusalem on a donkey and he was transfigured on a mountain but we don't know how it all fits together so your book in the video study program that you can use for small group men's groups women's groups Bible study the, these are great resources to introduce us to the life of Christ to put him in that historical setting as, and to encounter him as if we were one of those Jews in the first century encountering him for the first time. Uh, so thank you for, for, for the work and that, that, that you do in general, but particularly this project was is an incredible gift to the church. Thank you for letting me be a, a small part of it in the, in the video series. It was fun at the beginning. We, we, we start off the, every episode over a, a great Mediterranean meal. That was 
that, that it's not as good as Italian food, but, but if I had to pick number two, I go for that one. <laughs> uh, so that was great. But we, have, but Jeff Marcellino and I are, are having conversations about the themes that are going to be explored in each episode at the beginning. So that was a lot of fun. Tell, tell the listeners just a little bit more about the project. What would you, like, if someone's thinking, you know, if we used it for a Bible study, what would we get out of it? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, I think it brings people in touch with the humanity of Jesus in a pretty amazing way because we do this in the Holy Land. Um, we're walking through these places. You're not just looking at my face giving a talk or Jeff's face, but we're talking together. And as we're con- in conversation with each other, the camera cuts away to the amount of beatitudes or, you know, and, and there's incredible drone shots that, you know, I'm just thrilled with. We, I worked really hard at, at designing and asking for those specific shots and man, uh, those guys really came through. So, I mean, you get a, a, a overall, a sweep and a sense and a feel of the land, which really gives you a feel for Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the apostles. And so I think it'll be it, very engaging. The video portion's incredibly engaging. I think the study portion, like, first of all, we did this as disciples, right? It's you, me, Jeff, we're, we're, we're guys who are just following Jesus. We got into this, this Bible teaching stuff and theology stuff because we loved him. And for us, it's part of the adventure. We're not just like cold academics who are distantly, you know, talking about uh, uh, big concepts. I mean, we're in the middle of it and we wanted that to come across in the video. So we share part of our own testimony um, and, and what the Lord's done in our lives as we walk through the land and we talk about how we impacted Peter and Andrew and James and John. So um, it, this is really a series about discipleship that's very practical. It's very much about personally entering in, not just thinking about Jesus, but entering into a deeper personal relationship with him, figuring out what it means to be a disciple more effectively and how to share him. So, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of insights, a lot of inspiration, but also a lot of practical tips, steps you can take if you do the study um, on how to be more effective as a disciple of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot there. And I think, honestly, um, if people engage in the video study, they're going to want to watch it multiple times. So you should really get that streaming option. I'm so grateful Ascension made that available. Anybody can get streaming of the whole series for six months at a, unlimited for like, what, $13 or something. So uh, that's awesome. The book itself um, does more than what we can do in the videos. Uh, in the book, you can't give people the visuals, but in the videos, you can't give them as much content. So they really complement each other, the study guide, the chart, the, the book, uh, the video. And I encourage people start somewhere that works for you. And uh, eventually, if not all at once, get the whole um, complement of products under this title of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, because they interlock with each other. They complement each other. Well, there you go. So you have many different options, listeners. If you want just a book to, to to quietly read, you can get the book, Jesus, The Way, The Truth, and Life. If you want to do a small group study down the road, you can also get the video series, or you can just watch the videos on your own, especially if you're home and you got a little extra time uh, here in these days. So check it out. You can get that all, all that information at ascensionpress.com. So again, my my guest, Marcellino D'Ambrosio, uh, how do they find you if they want to find you on, on your website and well, marchlinodambrosio.com does not work as a website address. <laughs> Dr. Italy so does. So com is easy. DrItaly.com. That's right. And you know, people can actually sign up to be on my email list. And um, there's a nice little way to do that. You can text 
33777. That's 33777. And in the message, just put DR Italy, and you'll get a link inviting you to sign up so you can keep in touch with me. There we go. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for all you do. And if you have any questions, of course, you can always reach me on my website, edwardsree.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget, we will put more information in the show notes. If you aren't a subscriber to the show notes, you can get that at ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Again, that's ascensionpress.com slash allthingscatholic. Thanks so much and God bless. <laughs>